Hello everyone, this is Jay Grace. I hope you're having a, well actually, a great morning here at WBAI 99.5 FM. My show is called Inspire Her and it is in recognition of National Women's Day here on WBAI for Women's History Month. I'm very glad and proud to be part of it. Thank you WBAI and thank you Kathy Davis. This hour I'm going to share what inspired me to do this show. This show is about inspiration, particularly women who inspired me. And I was wondering who inspired you? What women in your life inspired you? Whether it was someone close to your immediate environment or a public figure. I thought about uh, one particular person who I found very inspirational and that was my mother and is. She continues to inspire me. One of the qualities, one of her many great qualities was her independence, her generosity and compassion, which are qualities that I, I hope I have and um, in that fact be able to inspire other women to have those qualities as well. Now, one woman who inspired me right now is actress, singer, uh, entrepreneur, and psychic healer, and so much more. Share Elise Cardin, how are you? Oh, I'm very fine this evening. It's really a pleasure, as always, to have an opportunity to speak with you. I'm also very inspired by you as well, and I'm very grateful to have this time to spend with you tonight. Thank you. And especially in, in this opportunity to uh, communicate with each other about, you know, um, the history of women and uh, acknowledging uh, all the strength that women have, the warmth and their love and their generosity with each other and the world, and um, and to acknowledge that in this time of Nas National Women's History Month. When speaking to you earlier before about the topic of the show, uh, did you get a chance to uh, think about the people, or the women specifically, who inspired you? Um, well, at this particular time, it's very interesting you should bring this up because um, I'm going to be singing in a cabaret, as I had told you, um, mm -hmm. at the end of the month. And I'm very, very excited about it. I, it's the first time I've sung or performed in quite a few years, and I'm very excited about having this opportunity to sing again. And I, the songs that I will be singing will definitely be, in fact, it's called Soul of a Woman. I love it. And that's the name <laughs> of the program. <laughs> so it's really apropos. Mm -hmm. uh, the director of the show and the producer of the show, Sue Mascaleras, and I were talking about how apropos it was, is mm -hmm. that we, this song is very much in celebration of all the strengths and triumphs of women, and as well as the struggles and the challenges that women face. And um, it's going to be expressed in so many different forms and styles of music. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I'm going to be singing is going to be more of a, a combination of jazz, Broadway, and even some vaudeville. Oh, wow. uh, the vaudeville song that I'll be doing is a song called I'm a Little Blackbird Looking for a Bluebird Too. <laughs> now, this was an extremely famous song that was made uh, famous by a woman named Florence Mills, mm -hmm. who was really the first popular and well-known um, African-American woman to grace the Broadway stage. So we're going back into the 1920s and even earlier. And uh, she started performing when she was about four years old. She was known to have a, a great, sweet, uh, and innocent and pure presence about her. Very, very lighthearted. 
And the song that I sing in the show is a very lighthearted and very sweet and innocent song about a girl who's looking for a bow. And um, so when you're listening to it, you're really going along with the sweetness of the song and kind of snapping your fingers, so to speak, as you're listening. But the truth is, is when I did the research on the song, I was surprised to find out that it's an undercover protest song. You know the spiritual songs, the gospel songs uh -huh. um, you know, that came through slavery? Yes, yes. And you know how there was a double message to it? One was the worshiping of God, and mm -hmm. the other was also stating their right to, to, have, certain, to have the same freedoms as everyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, these songs also had that same double message to them. So in the song um, Blackbird uh, Looking for a Bluebird, mm -hmm. her character in the show is basically talking about her right to be able to pursue the bluebird of happiness. Oh. And also for, you know, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that yeah. we talk about in the American Dream? Yeah. Well, that's her right to be able to do that as well. And that's depicted in the song. So, you know, if you're thinking in those terms, of, uh, of African Americans, you know, reaching for the American dream just as much as, as everyone else wishes to do so, then you realize that the words do have a double meaning to them. Wow, that's So I was very, very impressed. Uh, she, was in, she was invited by Ziegfeld to become a part of the Follies, and she actually turned that down oh. because she, well, she really was um, very committed towards building up black theater. And, uh, you know, and she really wanted to be a very strong part of this project that was um, the Blackbirds of Broadway. And um, that's how I found out about this, actually, because uh, the woman I just mentioned, Sue Mascaleras, who's the, who's the director, she actually participated in a, a kind of a musical review of the original Broadway um, shows of, of black people in the... Mm -hmm. And Nina Horn, she broke a lot of barriers for a lot of us in the 1920s. Now, unfortunately, Florence Mills passed away um, at a very young age. She was only 31 years old. But she was one of the first featured performers in that show. And then it progressed. As it progressed, actually, Lena Horn was also one of the featured uh, singers in that show also. So that brings us to a yet another um, Broadway performer and singer who also has impressed me. Of course, I look very much to the, the uh, singers because uh, I am a singer myself, so I can't help but be influenced by their strength and their power, and especially of these particular women, because they broke a, a lot of barriers. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, they really opened up an awful lot of doors for all the singers who followed after them. So was Lena Horne um, one of the women that uh, you looked up to, considering that she broke barriers for... African-American women and particularly in entertainment? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, I remember Lena Horan on TV, I would see her on TV and I also got to see her do her one-woman show um, at Carnegie Hall. Nice. And uh, yeah, that was years ago. I was just so happy just to be there. It was just, you know, I was like a kid with my mouth wide open just, you know, <laughs> listening to her. And I was very impressed by her grace. Um, she, she just, she was a class act. And, uh, you know, she really was. And she sung with, you know, so much power and so much soul in her singing. You couldn't help but really be moved by her. You were spellbound by her. She was, she was just an incredible, incredible performer. Very, very inspiring. Just so uh, the audience can get a, a sense of why I asked you to be part of this show is one of the reasons why I find you so inspirational. But I don't think that the audience knows that backstory. 
I mentioned that you're a healer and that you're an entrepreneur and a performer and so many other things that you continue to do. Can you um, give them a brief history of, of your backstory, if you will, um, if you don't mind? Oh, sure. Um, thank you for asking. I, um, well, as you know, I've had a number of different challenges in my life. And I have to say that by watching the women before me in my life who have been women who have fought all kinds of racism, discrimination. I've even had discrimination and racism in my own life also. And, and even though a lot of these situations are very uncomfortable for me, for sure. I mean, I, one time I remember I was actually in England and I was going through the subway there and I was walking with a, a, a European um, gentleman, a white gentleman. Mm -hmm. And uh, another white gentleman walked up to us and called me a, a, you know, a very bad name. Right. And, um, and then he spit in my face. So um, what I went through was serious, but it's nothing compared to what these women went through, such as Florence Mills and Lena Horne. And, you know, they would show up at, at shows and they would be the headliners at hotels and, um, and performance halls. But they'd have to go in the back door, whereas their white counterparts all went in the front door. So um, I had to always remind myself that there are people who went before me who have been through worse. And I unfortunately... I unfortunately also had the challenge of cancer in my life and I knew that I, I was not happy with how I was being treated by the doctors and the kind of choices that I was being given and so I chose to find my own way of getting healthy and um, along the way as I worked on finding healthier and um, let's say more natural ways of getting healthy I certainly changed my diet um, I got more into the understanding of bringing more oxygen into my body through eating a lot of green foods, um, exercising on a trampoline, um, you know, and also in employing other holistic treatments such as acupuncture, herbal therapies, massage therapy, as well as working on my emotional and spiritual well-being. Because I realized that every illness has at its origin some faulty perception of self. And I had to take a look at that, and I had to take a look at my own fears and anxieties, and also notice that there were actually areas of my life that I felt terribly unhappy about and sad about, but I was in denial about that. Mm -hmm. And I had made certain decisions. You know, when you grow up, it's, it, all women go through this, but especially with African-American women, we have a tendency to be so tough and so strong, and you know, we're carrying the load, so to speak, but we don't always know how to take care of ourselves we don't oh we don't get we don't really ask for help you know what I mean mm -hmm. because we're so busy being so strong we are neglecting ourselves and we're not asking for help and I realized that I was falling into alignment with the same kind of um, point of view in life and because I had neglected my own needs to a certain extent I had then uh, created the cancer the other thing too is if you do have issues with worthiness, mm -hmm. then it's quite possible that you know you have a certain cancerous conditions that go along with that certain point of view. And I had to take a look at that my, in myself and realize, yes, I really do want to live, and I really—it's sort of like Florence Mills. I want to find my bluebird of happiness, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not going to find that if I'm not healthy. So I. You know, I really have to pay more attention to myself and really turn those uh, false perceptions of self around. And I also went into Hippocrates Health Institute in Florida and I took wheatgrass therapies and mm -hmm. 
I've gone into live foods. I came back here and uh, back to New York and started teaching these things. And I believe that, you know, when you learn something that's helped you, you've had several people who have stretched out their hand to help you, then I also do the same for others. And so I have spent a great deal of my time over the past 20 years doing things to help others, such as doing healing work with others, teaching them um, how to uh, improve their quality of life, how to love themselves more, how to develop um, better management skills for managing their life and their emotions and developing their own sense of spirituality. Um, I'm also a colon therapist. I'm a psychic, so I give uh, psychic readings. Um, in colon therapy, I tell them many of the many, many things that they can do to manage their, um, their colon health and their, and their physical well-being. Um, and I'm also an artist. I've just started getting into doing uh, healing work with mandalas, which are sacred circles. And um, yeah, so there are circles that have to do with healing all aspects of, uh, of your experience of life, whether it be spiritual aspects or emotional aspects or connecting with the woman inside. A lot of my drawings have to do with connecting with your own inner goddess and that part of you, you know, that is, is all knowing. And, um, and that is strong and, and, and loving and generous and compassionate and having all the divine attributes. And uh, they are meant to inspire those parts of ourselves that we don't really get to talk about, you know, in life. Okay, let me just stop you right there just because um, what I found very interesting, uh, when you were diagnosed with cancer, uh, when was, how long ago was this? Uh, this was in 89. Wow, that's a long time. Yes. And also, I actually had cancer twice. I had it when I was 24, and that was, <laughs> uh, I, just, I just dated myself. <laughs> but in 1980, in 1980, I was um, diagnosed with cervical cancer, and I healed myself naturally that way. And then again, when I was at, at the age of 32. I was just going to ask you, um, considering um, at that time, even actually, even at this time, alternative healing is still iffy but at that time in 1989 people didn't even really talk about it that's true it's a little bit easier to find people willing to talk about it now than it was then mm -hmm. um we are in a rapidly changing world at this point because you know one out of they say two out of three people um at, will at some time during their life have cancer so that's tremendously and that's by 2012 so wow. um you know that's a very very high statistic so we have to talk about it. We don't really have a choice. We have to. When I was growing up, I knew no one who had cancer. And then there was one person my senior year who had cancer. And, um, you know, but it was just pretty much unheard of then. So things have changed a great deal over the past 40 or so years. And so we have to talk about these things now. And because it's touched every one of our lives, there's not one of us that doesn't know somebody. So we have to look at the various ways in which we can prevent cancer and also help ourselves uh, to treat it. Uh, if we are unfortunate enough to be, um, you know, to be challenged with it, and also, oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and also how to keep ourselves healthy. Yeah. We just can't, you know, we, we, you know, we went through a stage in life where we can kind of eat whatever we wanted to. When I was growing up, I ate whatever I wanted to, but there was no real understanding or education about how important it was to eat certain types of foods consistently all the time, you know? And uh, but now I understand the importance of it, and a lot of my clients who come see me understand the importance of it. Mm -hmm. I was wondering um, how did you decide, uh, considering that time people really didn't talk about alternative healing, how did you decide 
to basically take your your health in your own hands and not fall into the traditional ways of treating cancer? Well, the first time um, I was diagnosed, I was 24, so I was kind of young, so some of it was simply an act of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was just a part of me that says, no, I don't think so, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to, you know, you know, they called me up and said, you have to go in the hospital on Sunday, your operation will be Monday, you'll go home Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, well, what are you going to do? And they said, they're going to remove part or all of the cervix. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and possibly remove part or all of the uterus when you know part of me just said no I don't think that's gonna happen <laughs> and I <laughs> you know, and they you know called me over a period of two or three weeks you know saying look you cannot ignore this this is very serious you have cancer you must come in the hospital and deal with this now and I said I'm sorry I'm going for a second opinion and that's when I went to a place called Clymer Health Clinic which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore but it was a very famous health clinic uh, years ago, and that was in Pennsylvania, and I became macrobiotic then, which is another form of eating vegetarian foods that's uh, cooked food. It's more, it comes from Japan, right. and um, and I got into that, and I, and I did something called magnetherm therapy, which is a type of vibrational therapy, mm-hmm. uh, and that helps to vibrate your cells back to their original integrity, and um, so I did that, and I did triumphantly well. And then years later, um, I, I did allow myself to go back into naughty eating again. Plus, I got stressed going to school full time and getting my graduate degree and all that, and working full time. And sure enough, all that stress just built up and built up and built up until I got cancer again. And that's when I went to Hippocrates and learned the live food approach to getting well. And when I got cancer the second time, I have to admit to you that um, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, "Why do you think you created this?" Mm-hmm. And the answer. And the answer, surprisingly, was is that I didn't want to live anymore. Wow. And I was very, very surprised to hear that, that I had actually gone into a state of denial over my state of un- dissatisfaction in life. And a large part of that was because I had a bit of a martyr um, point of view about life. You know, that life was suffering and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and there's a lot of us that feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, and when I started to really work on my spirituality, um, and really look at the ways in which um, I had developed a very, um, you know, I, I guess it was sort of like a tough, you know, kind of tough love kind mm-hmm. of point of view about life, that I really wasn't allowing myself to be gentle with myself. And I think one of the big things that I learned from that time period is I had a lot of negative thoughts in my mind, but I didn't notice that I had them until all of a sudden I was walking down the street one day and I'm, I had done something, you know, forgetful. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, oh, you're such a jerk. Why did you do that? And when I heard myself say that, I thought, oh, no, mm-hmm. I'm not a jerk. That's not true about me, you know. And then when I started to listen to my mind, I realized I had an awful lot of self-criticism. And I realized that that was why I was not happy. It's because I was buying into all of these negative thoughts of self. The other thing, too, is that, you know, when you come from a family that's had health problems, mm-hmm. you think, well, you're told, oh, well, it's hereditary. There's nothing you can do about it. That's really not true. You can actually halt whatever illnesses have been passed down in your family. You can, it could stop with you if you don't have to suffer the way your family did. You can actually find ways to heal yourself. I was wondering, um, how did you know to choose alternative healing? Did anybody tell you that? I know you mentioned that you're naturally rebellious. 
but how did you know to use natural healing? I do have some kind of strange drive. <laughs> I'm a very, I am a very earnest person, that's very true. And I do have a strange um, drive to go for happiness. Um, I had a very challenging childhood. And I remember at one point someone said to me, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, with that difficult childhood, the thought that came up in my head was I want to be happy. It wasn't so much that I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's I wanted to be happy, especially growing up in the, in the 60s. I was real young. I was too young to be like a part of the flower movement or the hippie movement. But um, what I noticed was is that blacks were not treated very well. And I did not have a strong sense of self when I was growing up. So that coupled with my fear of growing up because of what I saw happening to black people, I was terrified to grow up. And I discovered as I got older, I discovered I had survived childhood and I got into an early adult life and I survived early adult life. But I hadn't really let go of some of those fears that had been instilled in me as a child. And um, I needed to really work on that, but I didn't discover. We don't realize because, you know, you go through life every day and you survive. You, you get a job, you pay your bills, you have your relationships in your life, but you don't realize how much of the past you bring with you. And I have to say that over the years, I have taken many, many courses and many classes in self-improvement, self-discipline, uh, spirituality. And I've discovered that and I'm very much in, influenced by Eastern um, philosophies and religions as well. And uh, through all of this inner work and this, uh, this striving to learn more and coupled with my desire to really discover happiness, um, I realized that, yes, there is suffering in life, but your life doesn't have to be about suffering mm -hmm. and that you actually can be very happy and you can find your bluebird of happiness each and every day in your life. And for me, I discovered that my vulnerability was my true strength. I thought being the hero and, and just kind of pushing myself through life and forcing myself through life, just getting things done, work two or three jobs, make that money, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought that was being strong. Right. And I realized that my real strength was not through my toughness. My real strength was actually in my vulnerability. Because in telling the truth, you know, what is that famous saying from the Bible, the truth shall set you free, that yeah. Christ said? Mm -hmm. And that's what's very true for me. The more that I tell the truth about how I really feel, the more I set myself free from the emotions that hold me back. Oh, okay. Um, we're going to have to do another show. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's a lot to say on this subject. <laughs> but, um, but I do want people sort of to get a grasp of who you are, um, sort of to the fact that you've gone through a lot of challenges and, and obstacles and how you overcame them and how that helped you become the person that you are now. Instead of letting it, um, these things define you, you uh, were able to overcome them and in essence inspire others and you've come full circle. You know, you mentioned that you haven't sang in years and now you're going to be singing at, at the duplex with your cabaret on March 26th. Uh, it's good. March 26th is a Saturday. Okay. It's going to be at 630 sharp. 
-hmm. and it's going to be at, <laughs> you know, we're encouraging people to please arrive by 615 to secure their table. Okay. And it's going to be uh, upstairs in their cabaret theater at the duplex, which is at 61 Christopher Street at 7th Avenue. Venue. I love that venue. Yes, yes, it is lovely. And there's going to be um, three of us singing and uh, and actually four of us. Uh, Sue Mascaleras, who is the um, director and producer, who's a Grammy-nominated um, a performer and, and accompanist and arranger and she does a little bit of everything uh -huh. and there's another woman named Paula Newman who is a, a Broadway performer as well has a very long celebrated history of uh, singing and uh, here in the city and then there's a, a beautiful young woman named Yolanda uh -huh. who also has an incredibly beautiful soprano voice who's going to be gracing us with her R&B sounds and uh, so I feel very grateful to um, be with this uh, company of women. And again, it's called Soul of a Woman, which is very apropos to, um, to natu National Women's History Month. So this is going to be a great evening of musical theater, R&B sounds, jazz, original uh, songs, and down-home blues. <laughs> Now, where can can you get the tickets in advance? If you, how do you well, there's no paper. There's no paper tickets, but I strongly urge people to make reservations soon. Mm -hmm. And uh, the numbers, can I uh, give the number on the? Okay, yeah. uh, the number where you could contact uh, the duplex to get uh, reservations is two one two, two five five, five four, three eight. Again, that's two one two, two five five. 5438, or you can reserve online at www.theduplex, that's spelled D U P L E X.com. And if you like to speak to me or contact me in reference to this program or anything else that I do, um, my full name is Cher Carden, and that's C C A R D E N at nyc.rr. Dot com. That's my email. Or you can check out my website at www.vibrantspiritquest.com. Well, that's a lovely name for a website. Yeah, well, yeah. I, that's the way I feel about life at this point. You know, uh, you ask me what it is that, that gives me that oomph to move forward, and that's mm -hmm. because of that vibrant spirit quest of life. That's exactly the way I would describe myself. Well, I believe that to be inspired is to be in spirit and full lessons and that's what you do when you do the things all the great things that you do so well oh, well thank you so much it's such a pleasure to talk to you i have i just feel like you are you are my spiritual sister and, and i'm very grateful to share these moments with you thank and you. you know i guess i guess the thing that i have to say is no matter how you know down for all those listeners who are listening no matter how down life appears to be and you know I know that we're all going through a difficult time with this recession you know I was in a fire in 1996 I woke up in the middle of the night and found my apartment on fire oh, and uh, I was very lucky I was graced with uh, divine providence that I was able to get out of that fire and I was okay and um, unfortunately I didn't have a place to live for five months and uh, so I was thankfully was found friends who let me stay on their couch for a night or two, and then I stay someplace else for a week or two. And believe me, that was very difficult at 40 years old to have that happen. And um, my life was turned completely upside down as a result. But um, I have to say that there was always a part of me that knew somehow I was going to be okay. And if you can just hold on to that, that there is always a will. God never gives you anything that you can't find the answer to. Mm -hmm. 
and um, just don't keep it to yourself. You know, reach out, look, reach out for agencies that are, are helping people with your particular situation, your particular problem. And, you know, it, we have, we're graced with the internet now so that, you know, knowledge is not far away, you know, but information is right there. So look it up, you know, call somebody up, call me up, email me, you know, that there are answers for you. So don't despair because you're not alone. And it's very important for all of us to understand in life is that we're not alone. Thank you so much, Cher, for sharing that with us and for living your life with a purpose and passion. Thank you. Well, I hope everyone has enjoyed our chat with Cher. That's not an easy thing to say, chat with Cher. <laughs> um, but uh, next, we're going to have another woman that's uh, inspiring, uh, Nefertiti Jones. Nef Jones is going to be with us, and she's going to share her uh, stories of women who inspired her and continue to inspire her. So, Neff, welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Jay Grace. Always a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and especially uh, one of the reasons that I invited you is because, uh, to me, you're one of the women that are in my uh, inner circle that inspire me. And I'm always curious to find out who inspired you? <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say, the women that inspire me are the women that are in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not to say there aren't celebrities that have had moments where I felt inspired by some of the things that they do. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I'm inspired by women like you, uh, women that are my childhood friends that I've known since I was five. I mean, obviously, I've been very inspired by my mother. One of the things I loved about my mother was I feel that she was an incredibly compassionate woman. Mm -hmm. um, and her love was unconditional for her children as well as her friends. And, and so I feel like when you have that kind of unconditional love, it doesn't matter if you fail, if you fly, you, you kind of know that they've got your back. I think that's one of the most endearing and important qualities that a human can have. And so I would definitely say my mother was one of the most inspiring people in my life growing up as, as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think my best friend, Laura Wolf, I mean, I've known her since I was five or six. It was her mother who kind of gave me the gift of music. And mm -hmm. Laura pushed me through my whole life in the music arena mm -hmm. between her mom and, and, and her. Uh, you know, Great women to inspire. I met no. them, and they're fabulous women. They're very inspiring indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Her mom ran a children's musical theater group, which we joined. I think we were eight when we got involved in that. And I mean, that, you know, definitely directed my life for, for many years. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I find Laura and her, her mom, Mimi Sternwolf, incredibly inspiring. And yeah, just just a lot of wonderful women that are, you know, movers and shakers, whether they're doing music or casting. Um, there's a woman named Re Rebecca Yarson who I work with. She's a casting director, and, and I've learned so much from her. Mm -hmm. I mean, and here's a woman who truly loves actors and how you can kind of get into an arena and find people that are jaded, and she's like the complete yes. opposite. She has a true love for actors, so I feel like when actors come in and audition, she really takes them to the next level mm -hmm. because she really respects and appreciates them, and I think that that's an amazing quality to have after years and years of doing what she does. So she, she inspires me. Um, wow, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say, um, 
when it comes to and this goes with whether you're a woman or a man you know living your life with purpose and passion that's that's a huge goal to have in life and you you mentioned how um laura and her mother uh were able to inspire you especially with when it came to music uh and that's a huge component of your life for for those who are not not sure of your what your background is is you're you're a musician you're the lead singer for jones bones band you are a casting director uh you and your wonderful husband jimmy uh founded gibson kids rock yeah that that is um, something that we started up three years ago and, and that's been an amazing experience gibson kids rock is a music program that we created to benefit kids in the foster care and um i was first informed about this really cutting edge amazing um, Haven Academy in the South Bronx mm -hmm. by the New York family, and they told us about this school where it was um, geared towards at-risk kids, so there's a lot of special programs that reside at that school to protect the children, to help the families, kind of keep the families together, mm -hmm. whether it's a support financially or emotionally. Um, it, it's really a, the first, it's a very cutting-edge school, and the principal, Jessica Noriakis, who's incredible, pretty much lets us do what we want with Gibson Kids Rock. So we go there every Thursday, we work with the kids with guitar, singing, songwriting. Um, last year we had a huge benefit at Crash Mansion and we raised a tremendous amount of funds and built a recording studio wow. in their school. That's and, awesome. Uh, the children are recording yet another one of their songs next Thursday, so we're kind of really excited about that. Wow, that's amazing. I remember when you first started and, you know, to see, to hear what you guys accomplished, that is huge. Congratulations on that. But what got you involved in that? I mean, did you, someone approach you or did you, did you and Jimmy talk about, you know, we want to give back? What do you, you know, how did you get started? You know, it, it was just, I was sitting around with a friend and she said she wanted to volunteer. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. And so she was looking at different programs to volunteer at mm -hmm. and somehow the Foundling came up. So I went to the New York Foundling and I met one of the directors, Alan Schatz, and I was like, you know, I want to volunteer and I went on your website and I saw that I could teach, you know, girls proper hygiene. <laughs> I mean, really, music hadn't even occurred to me to teach the music. I was just like, you know, I'll just go teach proper hygiene. And he's like, well, tell me a little bit about your background. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm a casting director, I'm a musician. He's like, well, why don't you teach a music program? And I was like, right. um, okay, like that hadn't occurred to me. And so I kind of left that meeting thinking, hmm, a music program, really? And I was, a couple of days later, I was power walking with my friend, mm -hmm. uh, Shannon, uh, who at the time was the director of Gibson Guitars, as she worked in the, at, worked at Gibson Guitars, and she's like, oh, I'll donate all the instruments. And I was like, yeah, but I haven't even decided if I wanted to teach music. And she's like, no, no worries, we'll get you everything you need. <laughs> it was decided was for you. I was just like, okay. And I had to say, I was terrified. And so I was talking to my husband, Jimmy, and I was like, can you just do the first couple know classes just speak and I really don't know what I'm doing <laughs> so he was like yeah sure and Laura actually helped us out and mm -hmm. three years later we're still there <laughs> that is a huge accomplishment that is wonderful and is um 
for those who are listening, if they want to get involved, donate or anything, is there a particular site or any information that they can get so that they can... Oh, yeah. You could go to our website, jonesbonesproductions.com, or you can actually uh, go right to um, the New York Foundling and reach out to Alan Schatz and just say, look, I'd like to be involved with Gibson Kids Rock, whether I'm donating financially or donating instruments or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to do. Um, so Alan always reach out to us and it, it's really you know Haven Academy is I hope more schools start to become like Haven Academy because I think it really picks up the slack where things have kind of fallen whether it's in the household or or the neighborhood or mm-hmm. overcrowded classrooms I mean right. there's just so much is happening at Haven Academy to ensure that these kids get the best mm-hmm. and that's, so yeah that's good to know I mean because you hear so many um schools and organizations that sort of lack that integrity yeah. and, and so it's wonderful to hear the positive side of it. And I have to ask you, when you initially just wanted to, I want to volunteer and to three years later, here you are, you have this wonderful um, thing going on. What have you gained personally from doing this? Um, God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel very connected to them, mm-hmm. wanting the best, feeling very protective of the children. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of learned what I've made. I'm, I'm made of by, you know, pushing the limits and learning new techniques to work with whatever problem that might arise. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that my husband and I have gotten to do together, which is incredible. I mean, we have Jones Bones Band, and that's great, but this is something different. We're yes. doing something together where we're actually Mm-hmm. And my mom was a school teacher, and she passed away six years ago. So I feel like somehow mm-hmm. a little more connected to her by doing this right, in a strange right. way. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm walking her shoes or something, or <laughs> partly walking one of her paths in life. Well, well, that's wow. That's pretty profound. That's wonderful. Um, I guess you didn't have a chance to, to to actually think about it, huh? And now you're. No. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> So now you mentioned also you 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 have a production company Jones Bones Production. Tell us about that. Well, Jones Bones Production, we kind of do everything. We we um, obviously we have our band, mm-hmm. under our production company, which really is a great band, by the way, for those who are listening. Wait, what'd you say? I said it's a great band, great music. Aww. You guys are great. <laughs> Thank you. So we just have a bunch of things under it. We have Gibson Kids. We have Jones Bones. And we uh, teach privately and we help other kids write songs and record. Um, Jimmy has toured all over the world doing, you know, just being a hired gun as a guitarist. He's an mm-hmm. incredible guitarist. Yes, yes. So it kind of everything we do falls under that category. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple of songs coming out in the movie that kind of falls under that category mm-hmm. for our company. <laughs> We're sort of all over the map doing everything because we kind of love everything if it's in the arts. Yes, exactly. And um, so you're, you mentioned the, the song, a song that a couple of songs that are going to be coming out. And we're actually going to play at the end of the show one of your songs. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a new movie coming out. It, 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 for 
2012. It's called Keeper of the Pinstripes. Mm -hmm. It's the Lou Gehrig story. Um, beautiful, beautiful movie that's coming out. It's actually the first movie that's fully endorsed by the New York Yankees, I think, since the 1940s. Wow. And we have two songs earmarked for the um, movie. We have uh, Broken Dolls, which I think is the one you're playing later. That's right. And Room 107. And Room 107 is about this room where Lou Gehrig used to go in and kind of break down and cry when he was first diagnosed with ALS. Mm. And there's all this rumor around the room being haunted. Ooh. And uh, the movie is kind of about the old ghosts or the ghosts need to leave the old Yankee Stadium and move into the new Yankee Stadium. And there's a 14-year-old boy, and it's kind of his job to convince the ghosts to leave the old stadium, leave Room 107, and go into the new stadium. So the song Room 107 kind of plays around with that idea. Wow, that sounds great. I cannot wait. When you, when it's uh, ready to go out there, please you know let me know so that I can uh, promote it, because that sounds really oh, exciting. Yeah. yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of exciting that, that we're doing and it's really nice that you know it's something that my husband and I yet again get to do together and then um, the past 10 months really I actually have been writing my memoirs or I should say I finished the first draft of my mm -hmm. memoirs congratulations and now I'm writing the second draft so that's another thing that I'm excited about that has taken up a, a, a big chunk of time oh yeah and, and I think we talked about it all, offline as you all about how um, cathartic it is and uh, how you get to sort of learn a lot about yourself. It's poured out, sort of purging, and how healing it can be. Yes, exactly. And I think you, you learn a lot about yourself, you learn a lot about your family. Um, you get a greater understanding of kind of what went down, how it all happened, and who you've become as a person because of how you grew up. And so it's been an amazing experience. I had never intended on writing a book. It wasn't something that I grew up thinking I was going to do. Mm -hmm. It just kind of happened. And um, it's about growing up in Alphabet City. And it's sort of like one family's journey growing up in Alphabet City during the 70s and 80s when um, it was a pretty horrific neighborhood. Yeah. It's nothing right. like what it is now. Mm, exactly. It's considered one of the worst neighborhoods ever in the history of New York. Yes. And so... Talk a little bit about that. I mean, growing up in the 70s and 80s and a young girl there, I mean, that's inspirational to me. I mean, there are a lot of trappings you could have fallen into. Um, teenage pregnant mom, a drug addict. How did you s sort of stay away from that? Well, I think it really came down to my mother, you know. Uh, teaching me my self-worth and really staying focused. And then when I met Laura at a young age, it, was, it, was, it made it easier to stay on that um, beaten path because Laura was so focused. And I, I think I spent my entire childhood life trying to get out of Alphabet City, which makes it kind of funny that I would move back into the neighborhood as an adult. <laughs> for me as a kid, I was determined. I was not going to be a drug addict. I wasn't going to get pregnant early. I wasn't going to end up on welfare. I mean, I was really focused in kind of getting out of what I considered my prison. And I think now as an adult, I don't look at it like it was my prison. I look at it like it was my school. Mm. It taught me a lot mm -hmm. about life and, and myself. And mm -hmm. I don't know, it, it, it's different when I'm here now. I have a, a great appreciation for my childhood that I did not have as a kid. 
Isn't that interesting? I find that very interesting because there's certain perceptions of my childhood too that I thought um, were really negative and now as an adult I can look at it I guess with open eyes and not from a feeling standpoint. Yeah, yeah definitely. But it, it was, it was a rough neighborhood. I mean there was a tremendous amount of heroin. That was the first thing that hit. I think you had in the late 70s it was all heroin and then mm -hmm. crack wave hit in the 80s and once the crack hit they couldn't contain the drug trade at all. It became violent. I guess crack is a much more violent drug. Mm -hmm. Heroin is kind of falling asleep. <laughs> the crack is, it definitely became a lot more violent and they actually burned the neighborhood down. That was their way of controlling the mm. drug trafficking was to start building, burning down all the, burnt down, uh, burning down all the abandoned buildings so that they couldn't continue with the drug trade within the buildings. Yeah. And even out more out on the street. So for a good five years, it just looked like, I don't know, World War Three. There was like nothing mm. left. Wow. And that probably the most intense period being in here. I would imagine so. Maybe between 80 and 85 was definitely the scariest. Now, then it started to clean up. But now, yeah, now it's a different scene. <laughs> you know, oh my god, they're opening a ballet school. <laughs> I know, it's insane. A block away from me, I was like, a ballet school, really? <laughs> <laughs> really, a ballet school. <laughs> I know. Um, so, what would you say to a young woman who may be listening and maybe uh, thinking of they're not capable of doing something because they live in a really rough neighborhood or they're African-American or Latina and they feel sort of uh, pigeonholed in some way? What? I mean, I guess I would say something like your neighborhood doesn't define you. Your bank account doesn't define you. It's who you are as a person that defines you. And therefore, yes, you may be facing really rough challenges, you know, challenges that are harder than your friends are facing at school, but that does not define you. Your actions define you. Therefore, don't let that stigma, oh my goodness, she's poor, oh, she's black, oh, she grows up in a bad neighborhood, or she has a single, you know, family household. Mm -hmm. Those things are irrelevant. What you do as a person defines who you are. So you just say to yourself, you know what, I am a good person, these are the things that I want in my life, and I'm going to find the steps that I need to take in order to get there, and make yourself a plan. Figure out, this is what I want, therefore, what do I need to do to get there? And think about everything that you do. Are you working towards your goal, or are you working against your goal? Those are great, great things to, to put out there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what I would think is, is what I value about you and, and that I find inspirational is that you just go with it. You go and, 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 and you have this strength, this inner strength and to just move past anything and you do it with a smile. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling you're kind of the same way, my dear. <laughs> well, I guess that's why we, we, we have this mutual admiration for each other. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's one of those qualities, and I, I tell this to, to anyone that's listening, is uh, no matter what's going on in your life, you have the power to change it. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and I think that sometimes if you don't have a role model, if you don't have anyone that 
uh, inspires you around because there are times that you know when you're growing up you might not have a, a female role model that um, is a healthy role model but be your own role model I think you and I had discussed that you know sometimes just looking at yourself and into the mirror or whatever and just say I am my own inspiration for everyone mm -hmm. I think we all need to think about that and for the young girls out there I think writing down something you like about yourself each day mm -hmm. really looking at it and going I like this about myself I'm good at this these are things that I bring to the world I think those are steps to start looking at especially if you don't feel like you have a role model then go ahead be your own role model and start writing down the things that you good about in your life that you do that you bring to the table awesome you know we're gonna we're running out of time so I, I want to sort of talk about uh, the song that we're gonna play so okay. so can you tell me a little bit of the history of it I know it's from the from the movie but um, how long did it take for you to write or something like that before we go into it well uh, the producer of mm -hmm. the movie <laughs> um, had a little piano melody stop there because that's a perfect message thank you so much Neff. you've been wonderful thank you for inspiring me and inspiring so many other wonderful people out there thank you thank you darling it is my pleasure to introduce broken doll from jones bones band jump and I jump, you fail and I fail. You're the one, the one that will complete me. You run and I run, we're making havoc fun. Count on me, no one else is worth it. Oh, can you tell me, are you ready? 
song that was Broken Doll by Jones Bones Man. I want to thank you for listening and WBAI. If you want to find out about me or any of my guests, go to gracenycradio.com. That's G-R-A-Y-C-E-N-Y-C-Radio.com. Thank you for listening again. I send you lots of peace, love, and positivity. Take care.